of the Lord. People get themselves ready, but, but it's the Lord that carries them through. Way to go. One of the um, most famous landmarks in the world is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Not pizza, right? Pisa. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's not famous for its height, and it's not famous for its architecture, although that's a beautiful example of Romanesque architecture. It's, it's um, um, famous for something different. And um, once they started building this thing, actually they were building on this thing for 199 years before it got finished. It's, it's now 845 years old. That's one good reason for it to be famous. Um, but within five years of starting this thing, within the first five years, they were only up to the second story and it started to tilt. And uh, they just kept going anyway. It's not working out right. It's leaning over. But let's just keep building on this crooked building. And um, kind of crazy. There have been a lot of attempts to fix it over the years. They've, they've, uh, they, 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 actually, the upper floors of it are taller on one side than the other in an attempt to straighten it out. So it's actually a curved building, which no engineer would really want you to do, and um, they've, um, they've, they've taken the, it's actually a bell tower, they had taken the bells out, great big heavy bells, because they thought that was kind of dangerous, they've, they've taken out the buildings that were in the fall line, right, okay, which is just smart things to do, so there have been a lot of things done, um, and in 1998, they added um, 800 tons of lead counterweights to the, out, the other side. I mean, they're doing all kinds of innovative things to try to fix this. It's dropping, it was dropping about a 20th of an inch a year. Doesn't sound like much, but, um, you know, at, at, in the uh, early 2000s, it was over 17 feet out of plumb. <laughs> That's pretty bad. And uh, it was predicted back then that it was going to collapse in the year 2000. So they got pretty busy um, working on that, and they, uh, they, 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 took out, they only took out about 50 yards of soil underneath one side of it, hoping that that would help it. And it did help it. They were very careful, and they, they, they tipped it back. It was about 5.5 degrees of tilt, and they tipped it back to 3.99 degrees of tilt. They, they moved it back to the 1863 um, level, and um, so... They're thinking it's going to last for a little while. It's, 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 it's still leaning, but the day is coming. It is going to fall, and um, it's going to go. It's, it's still standing, hasn't collapsed, and um, we'll talk a little bit m- more about why it hasn't collapsed quite yet and the fact that it will. But I will just give you a hint about why, um, why it's tilting. The, the word pisa is translated marshy ground. Okay, so that's a hint to you um, about why this thing. And here's the thing, though. This thing started tipping over almost immediately when they started building. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's built upon a very weak foundation. It's not just the ground that it's under, but it's only got a nine-foot-tall foundation. That sounds like a lot, but this is a pretty tall building, um, 185 feet tall, I think. And so, I mean, my son Ben is a structural engineer, and he would tell you um, if you were going to build something that the most important thing that you do is the foundation. And um, so a, a building is only as good as the foundation that it stands on, and that's also true about people. We are only as good as the foundation that we stand on. With that in mind, I want to take us right straight to our text. Let's pray over God's word. God, thank you for the fact that you tell us the truth in love. You just tell us the truth in love. So, Lord, 
Let my heart, today, Terry's heart be challenged by the truth that's, that's buried in your word. And Lord, for all of us, Lord, that, that we would all be nourished by life and by truth from the, the giver of life and truth, Jesus. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. amen. Okay, we're in Matthew 7, and um, these are the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Verse uh, 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was, uh, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So today I want to talk to you about the most important thing in life, spiritual security. So absolutely. I mean, last week we talked about, we started this series on security and uh, titled Security in Troubled Times. And, and I talked to you last week, we kind of did a 30,000 foot flyover over where we're going for, for the next season. But today I want to talk to you about the most important issue having to do with security. And that's your own personal eternal security. I mean, after all, in the long run, what, um, what good is it to protect your, yourself? and your family, and all of your stuff, but in the process, you lose your, whole, your own soul. Jesus even said that in Mark 8. He said, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So, so where we are, chapter 7, but chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew um, is almost completely printed in red ink if you have a red-letter Bible. That's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, probably his most famous speech, or, or right up there anyway. And you're going to notice that um, you know, it's printed in red because it's Jesus talking. And he's at, at the point that we get to the text we read today. He's at the end of this passage. He's, he's wrapping up and he's summing everything up. And his tone at the end here kind of turns to one of uh, admonishing and warning his listeners. And here's the reason why. This crowd that he was talking to wasn't a pagan crowd. This, this, was, this was a crowd of people who acknowledged God. This is a crowd of people who were Jewish people, regular synagogue attenders around the Sea of Galilee. They, you, know, he was, you might say that these people that he was preaching to, they had a form of godliness. But any form that's going to build up, it's got to have a foundation to stand on. And the foundation of these people he was talking to was weak. Their lives were leaning. So Jesus is warning them, of what to do with what they had just heard, all of that Sermon on the Mount stuff. He's kind of that. And, you know, I, I, when I get to reading passages like this, I remember back to when I was like five or six years old and um, didn't really know much about God. Um, our family was a, a, a good family. We didn't really know God. And, um, but I think the girl who lived behind me, Kathy, who was my age, five or six years old, did know God. Because she told me one day, with all the, the um, confidence she could muster, she says, Terry, you're going to the devil. <laughs> That's a quote that I have never forgotten in my life. And um, 
you know, something combative rose up in me because five or six-year-olds with other five, six, six-year-olds, what do you mean? You know, I mean, that, something combative. No, I'm not. You're going to go. No, I'm not. You, you're going to go. It's like, and I, you know, but truth be told, she was right and I knew it. Even at five or six, there was something in my spirit that said, I'm not right with God. I don't know anything about this. I don't know how to get right with God. And I remember thinking, you know, I'd like to go to heaven and not go to the devil. This is my five-year-old think-speak, right? This is, this is my dialogue of that day. But I don't know how, but I'd sure like to know how, and I'd sure like to be secure in it. And there is a way, by the way, for you to know for sure. And we're going to drill deeper down on that topic next week. But um, today I want to talk about building your life on the right foundation. Because there are a lot of people out there who have a false security. They trust in themselves. And then there are some people who have a flimsy security. You know, they, they, they choose to disobey Christ. And some people stand on a firm foundation. And that's where we want to end up. So basically, Jesus is, is describing in this passage a scenario where there's some large number of people who make the right, right speech, they say the right things, but when it comes down to it, they don't have the right stuff. They, they, you know, they, they say all the right things, but their life doesn't reflect the things that they're saying. So I want to look back at that starting in verse 1. We'll, we'll see this false security that some people have. Verse 21, not everyone who says, notice that this is something people are professing, something they're saying with their lips. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, right off the bat, We're dealing, Jesus tells us that we're dealing with a large group of people who are acknowledging the Lord. It's mentioned twice, Lord, Lord. And again in the next verse, Lord, Lord. And that repeating of Lord, Lord is like there's there's an indication here of some passion stirring, some some fervor. And then notice if you read further through the passage, which we'll get to later, uh, this threefold repetition. In your name, we did this in your name. It goes on three times. So there's some some pleading, some, some trying to make a case going on here. And verbal profession is good. It's, it's good. But verbal profession needs to have some visual proof. Did you know that? Scripture teaches that. G- James says it very succinctly in James 2.20. Faith without works is dead. Americans, 73% of Americans say that they are Christians. Three-fourths. Let's just call it three-fourths. Of those people who say they're Christians, 35% would use the term born again to describe themselves. It's a significant term. It's a, it's, a, it's a term not made up by the church. That's a quote. Those are words Jesus said. And, uh, and I know some of you aren't that impressed, you know, because of, you, you realize that just because you say you are doesn't mean you are, right? I mean, some people who have the eternal language, but they don't have eternal life. Billy Graham made this comment. Um, he, said, he, said, he said this, Our evangelistic crusades find both the greatest challenge and the greatest response among church members. And the point is here is that talking about God is good, but it's not enough if that's all you have. You know, it's a false security. You can, you, you can do the God talk, but, but it's a false security if that's all you have. And something else, 
I think not only did these people acknowledge the Lord with their, um, acknowledge the Lord, but they acknowledged the Lord with their good words. Words, not works, I'm going to come to that. But they're, they're acknowledging the Lord with their good words, the good things that they're saying. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Now here this, this admonition, this warning, kind of shifts a little bit away from the pews to the pulpit, if you, if you follow my drift. I mean, th- this is about th- people who speak for God, not just about God. They're, they're, you know, you've prophesied. We've prophesied in your name. They're representing God at some level. It isn't just guys who stand behind a pulpit like me. It's you too when you share good things about God with people. You're representing God. And you might ask yourself the question, wait a second, how can that be? How can this be possible for a person to be a spokesperson for God, a pastor or a ministry leader or just a Christian who's sharing, and still need this warning? How can that be? Can it be? Answer is absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I'll give you a couple of examples. Acts chapter 18, you'd read about a guy there named Apollos, and he was an Alexandrian Jew, and um, here's what the scripture, how it describes him. It says, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. That's what the, the Bible says about Apollos. But as you read on, you'll discover that this guy who could really preach, you know, he was, he was, he was good. He was, but what he preached was incomplete. He taught the baptism of John the Baptist. He, he liked Jesus. He, he thought he was a good man, an ethical, and a, an ethical moral teacher. But he didn't preach God's perfect message until somebody brought him aside later and said, hey, let me explain this to you. Let me explain to you about Christ and, and all of that, about Jesus. And this guy could preach up a storm, but he was a spokesperson for God when this description is made of him. But he wasn't saved. He didn't know Jesus. Here's another one, Martin Luther um, you've heard of Martin Luther, right? Not the king one, but the original one. Okay, Martin Luther. He, um, he, was, you know, he had some concern about his own soul, and, and, and so he joined this monastery in, in, in Erfurt, Germany, and um, spent time there, and over time he became ordained to the priesthood, and he, he studied theology, and he, he, he got a doctorate in theology, and he became a teacher of theology. But by his own testimony... By, when he describes himself in his own life, he was not a believer at the time that all this stuff was going on. Martin Luther, the Reformation. So, Reformation. so talking about God is good. Talking for God is good. But if that's all there is, it's a false security. So I'll continue in the text. Not only did they acknowledge the good Lord and, and affirm good words, they accomplished good works. They say, this is verse 22, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders? That word wonders there is dynamis. It means powerful, miraculous works. Have we done some miraculous things in your name, Lord? Now, you got to be thinking along about now in this passage, saying, you know, <laughs> how is this possible? They, they don't know Jesus, but they're doing miracles, and they're... Um, you know, explain this, Terry. What's the deal? Well, there's, I think there's at least three possibilities. Here's three that I could think of. Possibility number one, when the works that are done in the name of Jesus, in your name, they're, they're done in the name of Jesus, but they're done by the power of Satan. Now, I know that messes with your mind. 
So let me take you to a couple of passages and just see where this is a possibility. Um, Okay, Acts chapter 8, you'll read there about a guy named Simon, and the scripture says he was a sorcerer, and he lived in a town called Samaria, and and he did these powerful, miraculous works. And even though everybody said, "This, this man is the great power of God, that's what the people said about him, the Bible says his powerful acts were done by the power of the devil. Here's one example. Here's another one. Acts 19 um, mentions a, a group of guys called the Seven Sons of Sceva. And, um, and there's others too, but these guys were Jewish exorcists. They were um, you know, in Ephesus, in a town called Ephesus. They heard about Jesus, and you know, they would say, we exercise you. You have to get out in the name of Jesus Christ, casting out demons. Here, and, and here's another example. This is probably the best example. In the end times will be the Antichrist. And the Bible says, he says he's going, someone who's going to come in the end days, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9 says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. He's going to deceive many because they see miracles and they're going to think, this is God's miracle. The scripture tells us it's going to be the working of Satan. Okay, so that's one possibility, done in the name of Jesus, but by the power of Satan. Another possibility, and, and this is probably, I think, more the exception than the rule, it was the power of God working through people, even though they were unbelievers. Okay, that probably messes with your mind a little bit too, so I'll give you a couple examples of that possibility. Numbers 22, a guy named Balaam. He was a false prophet. He wasn't a Hebrew prophet. He wasn't God's prophet. And he was a follower of a pagan religion. And um, yet when he spoke, God put his words right into Balaam's mouth. In fact, he was so careful. Um, there's a whole story there. You can read all about that in, in Numbers 22. And other kings wanted Balaam to curse the, the nation of Israel. And they bribed him and they tried all kinds of things. And he dibble dabbled. And, 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 but when it came down to it, the Lord convinced him. <laughs> with a talking donkey and through some other things, he convinced him not only not to curse the nation, but to bless them with his mouth. And he was clearly not a follower of God. John, John 11, we read about a guy named Caiaphas, who was the high priest. He was the high priest. And he was an unbeliever at the time. And he didn't believe in Jesus. But he's, he's, he's noted for, for this comment. He said, it's expedient for one man to die for the nation. That's what he said. And the gospel writer John adds this, this, this note. He says, now, this Caiaphas did not say on his own, but he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only. Caiaphas didn't know God. He didn't know Jesus. So that's a possibility. Here, another possibility is that this group of people um, that Jesus is talking about just said that they had done it, but they'd never actually done it. Okay, so that's a possibility. They said it, but they didn't actually do it. The point here isn't to explain how it's possible, how what Jesus said is possible. I got some faith that, you know, if Jesus said it, I'm pretty much on a trust basis already. But it messes with my mind, and it's good to go in there and see how these other things are actually possible. But that's not the point. The real point in all this is that you, you can talk about God, and you can talk for God, and you can do good things for God. And that's fine. But it's a false security if that's all there is. It's still a false security. That false security turns into a really flimsy security when a person with only that comes to a moment of facing 
the judgment of God. Because if you're making the right speech, but you really don't have the right stuff with it, the house is going to fall down. You know, the leaning tower will eventually collapse. And verse 23 tells us, tells the people what they're missing. Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Wow, think about that just for a minute. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Well, there's two things that this group of people are missing. Two things. Although they make the right speech, number one, they're missing a lifestyle. Notice the word practice. You who practice lawlessness. It's, a, it's the present participle tense in the Greek language. It just simply means a continual action. Okay? So a better translation might be to say, depart from me, you who continually or habitually are practicing lawlessness. So here's the point. Anybody who continually practices sin gives evidence that they don't belong to Christ. It's just evidence. It's a possibility. Anybody who continually practices sin gives evidence that they don't belong to Christ. You might, <laughs> this might be, you know, my day for preaching where you're going, wait a minute, Terry, okay, I want to see some backing on that as well. I mean, you have some questions. Don't Christians sin, Terry? Yeah. Yeah, we do. And don't Christians fall? Yes, we fall. And there's forgiveness. You might even say, ask me this question, don't Christians intentionally sin sometimes? Yeah, they do. I think sometimes people, um, there's a stronghold with a grip on their lives. But here's the point. When that's going on, even the deliberate sin, a true Christian is going to have something of Psalm 51 circulating in their heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence. Don't, let, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That's the reaction of a Christian who's stumbling in a sin. And it's, if, if, if it's a true believer, he or she is going to hate that. They're going to wrestle with the sin. They're going to struggle. They're going to fight against it. It's this war of the flesh and the spirit. I mean, I, I heard it put this way. Here's the difference. This is very clever. I, this is not me. A Christian is someone to whom sin clings. An unbeliever is someone who clings to sin. There is a parallel passage to this. Um, you know, the different Gospels share sometimes the same story, and you get the viewpoint from someone standing slightly different. And here's Luke's um, recording f- from this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Luke 6:46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? So here's this absence of a lifestyle and the right speech, but they miss the right stuff, and, and that's their lifestyle. There's a guy named Frank Abagnale Jr. You might have heard of him. They did a movie about him called Catch Me If You Can, Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. Okay, in, interesting. I'm not here to push the movie, but it's a true story. Um, the, st- the story behind it is true. I don't know about the movie being completely accurate, but... This guy successfully posed as an airline pilot, as a physician, as a security guard, prison security guard, and as a lawyer. All of that between ages 15 to 21. Successfully. And between ages 16 and 18, Pan American Airlines estimates that he flew over a million miles. (laughs) 
He visited 26 countries, and of course, every time the flight staff lands, they stay in free hotels. That was his life. How he fooled them, it's, it boggles my mind. He's, his profession was, I'm a pilot. But his practice was, I'm a phony con man. Irma Bombeck wrote one time, um, never go to a doctor's doctor whose houseplants die. <laughs> Makes sense. Because who's going to go to a, a Christian for direction and help if that person seems lost themselves? You know, where's the lifestyle? You know, lifestyle's important. When, um, I've been a Christian since the middle 70s, early 70s, and... Um, I remember this big push in the early 80s about lifestyle evangelism. And I subscribed to the idea that people around you should be able to see something different in you. There should be something different. It should be Christ, right? They should be able to see it, and it should be attractive. And maybe sometime they'll come and ask you, why are you so different? Why are you always happy? Maybe you'll get those questions. I don't know. I don't know how much that happens. But if that's all you do is try to, and you never actually share the gospel, that's a, that's a rabbit trail. I just would say to you, share the gospel too, besides lifestyle. But these, these were people, this is, this is this Frank Abagnale guy, you know, you make the right, right speech, but you're not really what you say. So they're missing the lifestyle, number one, and then even more fundamental, they're missing a relationship. Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Now, this is not Jesus saying, I never knew of you. It's not him saying, uh, you know, I forgot your name. What was your name again? It's not, that's not what's going on here. This, 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 the idea here is, I never knew you as one of the people I was discipling. You never knew me as Lord. We, we never had a relationship. And there's this nexus here that we sometimes get backwards, and it's important for us to get it frontwards, Lifestyle does not produce relationship. It's the other way around. The relationship produces the lifestyle. You know, it's not, I'm going to do this, 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 and that, and then I'll have relationship with Jesus. It's exactly the opposite. It's I'll have relationship with Jesus, and uh, then from that, I meet him and I know him, and it's flowing from that relationship comes the lifestyle. Well, okay, here's a little logical question sequence. Well, how do you have the relationship? You've got to be in the family. Well, how do you be in this family? Well, you've got to be born again. That's why Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven in John, John 3, John 3, 3. If you're not born again, you're not getting into heaven, and frankly, you're not going to understand kingdom stuff if you're not born again. Paul uses this. He, he uses the term adoption. It's a beautiful description because I was adopted into the kingdom of heaven. I, my father adopted me. He said, you, into this family. Same with you. It's a beautiful picture. And the Holy Spirit teaches us through God's word that when you receive Christ, you're born into the family. So, James 2.20 tells us faith without works is dead, but it's also true, we find this in Romans 3 and Hebrews 11, that works without faith is also dead. You need faith. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us in, in 11.6 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. And that faith, 
that relationship, that knowing of Christ will produce works. A true saving faith in Christ will produce evidence of knowing him by your works. It just will be the byproduct. And I love how Jesus put it in his prayer in John 17. Scripture says, and Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he, so now he's praying. He's talking to the Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. Verse 2, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, that they may also know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The uh, Today's English version, which is a paraphrase um, in Matthew 6, has, has, a, has a beatitude like this. It says, happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. God will satisfy them fully. Is your greatest desire in life to do what God desires? <laughs> when I look back at when I first got saved... It was a very clear no. <laughs> Sometimes it's no now, and that's bad. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to, to, I would like that to say that I could tell you my greatest desire in life is always God. I mean, it's more. But back then it was a very clear no. I mean, I, I thought it's all about me. It's all about my life, you know, my this, my that, my relationships. Oh, and by the way, God, I want to go to heaven too, right? Okay, that was kind of my <laughs> deal. And, uh, you know, I, I legitimately prayed. I legitimately believed I was saved. But there was something missing still, you know. I was living in disobedience in some areas of my life. And, and until I started to connect faith to works, connect those two together, I really wasn't going anywhere with God. The relationship comes first, then the lifestyle, then the obedience follows if that relationship is real. And there's something really important for us to pick up here as Jesus wraps this up. And um, the reference, there's a reference here to this coming storm, verses 24 to 27. There's a couple of houses that are built, and the wind blows, and the rain comes, and one house stands, and one house falls. And typically people, Christians, read this passage and the interpretation, they, 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 they translate it into their lives kind of like this, like, you know, there are storms that come in life, and um, they'll beat you up some, and if you're in Christ, you're going to stand. And that's true. That principle is true. But that is not what the scripture is saying here. That is not what Jesus is saying. This is referring to a particular kind of storm. And that's the storm of judgment. This is, this is the storm of God's wrath. This is the, God's wrath. It's, and it's a storm that's coming. And it's easy to see that when we look at what he's saying here in the context. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day. What day is that? That's the judgment day. This is the day when men will face Christ and give an account for their lives. That's the day of judgment. Verse 23. And then I will declare to them, same day, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now we understand why it's so important to have a secure foundation. Because there's this storm of judgment that is coming. And your life, like the Leaning Tower of Pizza, will fall. Or it'll stand. Depending on what foundation it's built upon. 
Hebrews 9, verse 27, couldn't state it any clearer than this. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Hebrews 10, 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. W.C. Field, (laughs) I asked a few people before church, who's W.C. Field? Most people didn't know who he was. So some of you may not get this reference, but... (laughs) You know, he was, a, he was a comedian, actor, famous for talking like this, right? Right? Okay, W.C. Fields? Some of you are smiling. Thank you for the support. He, he was in a hospital. He was on his deathbed. W.C. Fields was not a believer. He had never read the Bible. And um, here he is on his deathbed reading the Bible, looking now for answers. And a friend of his who came, came in who knew he was not a believer sees him reading the Bible, and he says, you know, what are you doing reading the Bible? Story goes that that W.C. Fields looked up and said, looking for loopholes. (laughs) (laughs) The problem is, there aren't any. There are no loopholes except for Christ. Except for Jesus Christ. That's the only loophole. That's it. Christ is the only exit from the coming storm. And this, this is a major biblical thing, the wrath of God. I mean, it's, it's absent from modern preaching. You don't hear it in a lot of pulpits. You know, there's a lot of feel good, smile, I'm okay, you're okay. Um, but the wrath of God is a major biblical theme. It's the re- reverse side of the gospel. You know, the good news. God, the word gospel means good news, right? You, you knew that. You know, why do you need good news? There must be a reason. Well, the reason is there's a lot of bad news because there is a coming storm. There's judgment on its way. But here's the good news part of that. The bright side of the gospel. Jesus said this. He said, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the bright side. Here is the flip side. Stay in the same exact chapter. You know, a lot of people quote that verse, but I say, okay, Go ahead, but like 20 more verses, get, you know, keep reading in the same chapter. Verse, 20, verse 36. Now, this is John the Baptist talking. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I know a lot of people think that the wrath of God is just Old Testament. No, but the God of the New Testament, it's, it's you know, I, I like the God of the New you know, love, grace, mercy... <laughs> And that's the God of the New Testament. You're wrong. The the love of God and the wrath of God are both Old Testament and New Testament, and they're both all the way through the Word of God, all through the Bible. Here's a New Testament example, Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress, suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, God is describing this as a continual revelation. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. That's why the gospel is such good news. We can escape. Smile. (laughs) We can escape. I mean, but you have to have the right foundation. And I, I have always felt that this is probably the scariest, most terrifying passage in the entire Bible that we've just gone through today. And, and, and there's a word here that makes it scary. Look at the first word in verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Not a few. 
but many. I go back to verse 13 um, before our passage. This is Jesus talking. Go back up a little bit, and here's Jesus talking. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So it means to make sure that we have the right and secure foundation, that we have to pay attention to our walk with Jesus. Mind our walk with Jesus. So let's look at what firm security looks like in the last few verses, um, starting in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So we've got a couple of houses here and there are some similarities between these two houses. Both, both builders are building homes because they want to have a house and they, they're looking for a secure house. It's probably happening in the same general area because it describes this storm coming. It sounds like it's their, they could be neighbors for all we know, but same general. And they probably both looked the same from the outside. You know, a door, a window, a two-camel garage, whatever they got there. And, and, but, you, but you could not tell the difference between the two houses by looking on the outside because they looked the same. What Jesus said is different is the foundation, and we don't see the foundation. You can't tell by looking that a person has a secure life because they're smiling, right? You, you, you can't tell that a person is saved. You, you can't tell the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person all that easily. You know, just because someone's carrying a Bible. I mean, there are seminary professors who teach the Bible who don't believe it. Sad to say, there are pastors who teach the Bible and don't believe it. Some scary statistics out there about pastors who are not saved. It's just, but it's, but it's, it's true out there. That is not me assaulting the church or the Lord's bride, by the way. I'm just telling you, you cannot tell by looking on the outside. And Jesus described a real Christian using three descriptor words. He's saying, you know, all three of these are present in a Christian. No, hear, and do. No, hear, obey. No, hear, do. Knowing him, verse 23, Jesus said, I never knew you. Do you know Christ? If you don't know him, this is the moment right now to button that down. This is the moment right now to avoid this chat. You do not want to have this chat. There is no argument you will make at that point if he says I never knew you there is no sufficient argument don't even start rehearsing it the thing to do is today this moment say I want relationship with Christ I recognize I will stand alone and naked and speechless in that moment do you know him I I I don't have this as a notched place in my notes to do this but I, I don't even want to move forward without giving an opportunity. Listen, this is not about embarrassing anyone. And I believe the majority of people in this room, 
um, have made a decision at some point saying, you know what, I'm, I'm a mess apart from God. I want to I be saved. I'll open my heart to the king. And you, you, are, you know him, and he knows you. But there could be some who don't. I would like to give an opportunity. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but is there anybody here that you would be brave enough to say, okay, I do. I want to have that relationship with Jesus right now. Eyes are open. Anybody? Raise your hand. Add a girl. Way to go. Thank you for that. Can we just thank the Lord for his loving heart? Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So um, I'm just grateful, the Holy Spirit. I, I, I think there's a reason why the Lord wanted you to raise your hands today. So that you can say, no, no. When, the, when hell starts saying to you, uh, you don't really have a relationship with God. You say, yeah, I made a decision and the Lord comes rushing in. Scripture says if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, and that is just the same you'll be saved. And um, to all of you, I would say this. The way that you mind your walk with the Lord is to regularly be in his word, learn who he is through his word, and come to that in a minute, but also to be with the people of God. That's where, way better than classes, and I know classes are important, but that's, that's where you grow, is in one-on-one relationships or in small groups where you're around other Christians and you shape um, each other and being regularly in his word. Here, in this place, and yourself with the Bible. So, okay. Wow, lost my place here. We're almost the end. Last page. That's good news. So, the third, the third thing that Jesus said is hear. And this is an ongoing process. It's like, whoever hears these sayings of mine, and I encourage you to do this every day, you know. Read your Bible. <laughs> Read your Bible. If you don't have one, get one. And, uh, and, and listen to him. Because if, God, if it's God's way to reveal himself through his word, and you are never in it, how are you possibly going to come to know him if you don't read it? That's how he reveals himself. That's how relationship is to hear him, hear him. And by the way, do it when you come to church. Come to church thinking, God, I expect to hear from you today. I- I'm coming to be visited by the spirit of God. Lord, I... What are you saying to me today? And that's one of the reasons that I encourage you, not make anybody feel bad. I know you got it in your phone, many of you, some of you, but, but bring your Bible to church. And the reason for that is that I want you to become familiar with where we are. Because the time will come when you're not in church and a subject will come up and you already know, oh, where's that place? You've, I remember we talked about that in church and you become more familiar with God and his ways and his words. So it's just, it's just good for you to, to bring your Bible um, if you can because there's going to be a time in the future where you will need that information and you'll be able to find it. And, and not only know him and hear him, but three, obey him. There are forever, whoever hears these sayings of mine, don't stop reading there, and does them. That's the relationship with God, knowing him and, and its relationship. Jesus, um, John recorded Jesus talking about this it's really directly. Verse 10, 27, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There it is again, know, hear, do. So we're called to be followers. Are you a follower? You know, when all three of these are together, when all three of these are present knowing, hearing, and doing, that's a secure life. They predicted that the tower was going to fall back in 2007, right? And um, the scientists started measuring how carefully, and, and, and they fixed it temporarily, and they were able to move that thing back 18 inches. They got it actually to fall uphill 18 inches. 
back to its 1823 position. Now they're predicting it's going to collapse in the year 2000 or 2300. So if you want to, you can save up your money and travel over there and um, you can visit it and it's not going to fall. But it will fall eventually. You can go in five years, it'll still probably still be standing, but it's going to eventually fall. You can go in 10 years, it will eventually fall. And why is it going to fall? Because the foundation is no good. It's weak. And you may have nothing catastrophic happen in your life, you know, today or tomorrow or, you know, this week or this month. In fact, your life might get better for a while. But if your life is not built on a solid rock, just like that tower, eventually it will fall. It will. Scripture says, and when that storm of judgment comes, great was its fall. We need to be built on the right foundation. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for these very plain words, the words of our Savior, written so directly to the people who are hearing you audibly and now to all of us who are your followers. Lord, these are everlasting words spoken. You know, these are, these are every bit as... They have modern and contemporary relevance just like they did back then. Know, hear, and obey. Father, if anybody here has determined that their life is not on a secure foundation or they've been trusting in works or what they say about you, but they're not following you, Lord, I pray that they would make a change of course and they would choose to follow you, Lord, and put their sin and their guilt on you, Christ, the one who died on the cross. I thank you, Lord, for the the way you love us, the way you have demonstrated it. In the name of Jesus. Would you stand and sing with me?